Imagine your life as a house. Stick with me. Sometimes you hear truth from God's Word, and you have to rearrange your furniture accordingly, right? You hear the truth in God's Word, and you have to change your priorities, move the furniture around, and change your response to God's Word. But sometimes you hear truth from God's Word, and moving the furniture around is not going to cut it. You need to go in for the complete overhaul, remodel. You need to start knocking down walls. You need to start rewiring the whole place, putting in new plumbing. You're going in for the entire overhaul. You are trying to restructure your whole life in response to God's truth. Hopefully this morning, one or the other is going to happen. Some of you will hear God's truth this morning, and you'll just move some furniture around, rearrange some of your priorities. And some of you, when you hear God's word, will go in for the entire overhaul. So here's the truth. Are you ready for it? There are people in the world today who have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are entire people groups who've never heard of Jesus. We have a a missionary in Asia recently speaking to a 15-year-old guy asking him if he's ever heard about Jesus. And the response was, no, never. Let that sink in. Never, ever have heard about Jesus. Now, if we believe what the Word of God says, then we are told that people who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ perish and are separated forever. And if so, if we actually believe that, we should be compelled and moved to go and proclaim the grace of Jesus everywhere to those who have never heard. And everyone in here should have a burden for those who have not heard or responded to the gospel. Now, some of you will rearrange the furniture in your house. You will change your priorities so that you can support and encourage others who are sharing the gospel around the world. But there are others in here who are going to renovate and overhaul their lives completely and go. But I must say, if you're a believer in here, your only option is to do something. You just can't sit here and do nothing because the good news of Jesus Christ was never meant to terminate on ourselves, but was meant to go out and spread around the world. So let's get started. Let's see this truth as we turn back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 is where we find ourselves this morning. We've been in Romans for several months now. And Paul's in the middle of an argument where he addresses the tension concerning the low number of conversions among the Jewish people. Remember the Jews had all the promises in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes on the scene, the fulfillment of all these promises. And most of the Jews do not put their faith in Jesus Christ. But masses amount of Gentiles do. And the question is, did God's promises to Israel fail? And Paul answers that question in chapter 9, 10, and 11. I'm just going to kind of give you an overview of where we've been the last few weeks. Part one of this overview is in chapter 9, that God does not elect everyone within Israel for salvation, but only a remnant. Part two is in chapter 10, Israel was responsible for failing to believe in the Messiah. Part three 
is in chapter 11 that God is still saving some Jews today and there's going to be this great ingathering as we get closer and closer to the end times. But right now, we are in part two concerning the response or the lack of the response of Israel and faith. And the main emphasis of what we're going to see today in verses 14 through 21 is the failure of Israel to respond in faith to the gospel. Now check this out. Today, I'm going to talk about world missions. But it is not a passage that commands world missions. We're not looking at a passage today that commands gospel proclamation. The passage that we're going to look at today is assuming that it is already going on. And it's that assumption that I want to hone in on because, in in, in my opinion, and I could be totally off and you can tell me if I am, in my opinion, I think we as a church have lost that assumption. And the reason why I think we've lost that assumption is because we are busy people. We're busy Christian people, and we're doing good things. You're doing your job. You're going to school. You're loving your neighbor. You're loving your family. You're showing compassion. You're caring for people locally, and you've got a lot going on. But when it comes to world missions and worldwide gospel proclamation, your bandwidth is full, and you say, I can't. I can't add any more things to my life, so I really can't think about world missions or gospel proclamation around the globe. I just, I have nothing in me where I can actually think about those things. But this is what I want to tell you. The assumption of the early church is that this is what the church is about. You read the book of Acts, and they're about gospel expansion, proclamation of the gospel. It's the assumption of the early church. And what I want for Evans to Bible Fellowship is for it to for it to be our assumption as well. This is this is what it's about. This is why we exist. We exist for the glory of God to spread his fame so that others will worship him. And so I want to hone in on this morning on this assumption of gospel proclamation and emphasize it over and over and over again. I hope you're going to stay with me. So let's go for it. Let's start where we ended last week. We ended last week on Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Look at it. Verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So regardless of your background, Jew or Gentile, if you call on the Lord Jesus in faith, you'll be saved from God's wrath. You'll be saved for a relationship and accepted by God forever. And what Paul is going to do, he's going to build on this concept in verses 14 and 15. It's going to get really good. Let's read verse 14 and 15. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's take these in order, and we start with the concept of call. How, then, will they call on him? 
In order for someone to be saved and to live with God forever in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, they must call. They must call out to the Lord in response to the gospel and put their faith in Jesus. Maybe they say something like, I am a sinner. Save me, Jesus. Have mercy on me. I trust you. There must be some type of call upon the Lord to be saved. And we want to see people all over the globe put their faith in Jesus. I'm going to stop right now because I'm going to address a few of you in here. I don't know who you are. I'm just going to bring something up that you may be wondering. Why would we want to impose our beliefs on others? Okay, impose is a very strong word, right? Um, There are a lot of religions in the world, right? So why would we as Christians want Hindus or Muslims or Mormons why would we want them to, I don't think it's right to say change the religion, but basically come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why would we try to do that? Why can't we just let them believe what they believe and we believe what we believe and just coexist and pop the bumper sticker on and be cool? Why can't we just do that? Like, what's the big deal? Unless I'm misreading the Bible, which I don't think I am because it's pretty plain, Jesus is very clear that he is the only way to heaven. I didn't make that up. I'm not sitting here trying to pick a fight. It seems like that's what Jesus says. And it seems also that he's the only one that can really deal with sin and what keeps us from God. And so we're not trying to get an attitude. We're not trying to be better than other religions. We're not saying that, oh, we are so awesome. No, we're saying we are great sinners who have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and you can too. And my brothers and sisters, if you do not share the gospel, you are selfish. If you say, let's just let them believe what they believe, we'll believe what we believe, you are self-centered, selfish. It's like you have the cure for cancer and you are failing to share it with someone who's sick. It's like that. You know the way to eternal life, and it's not because you're something awesome. It's just you just know Jesus, and you've got to share it with others. And that is why we are so pumped up about getting the gospel out around the world, even to penetrate countries with different religions, because we want them to believe and to be saved and to call on the Lord. But they are never going to call on the Lord unless they first believe. And they are never going to believe unless they first hear. And they are never going to hear unless someone is preaching to them. And, and they are never going to be sent to preach unless we say, get up and go. And this is the kind of what we're going to look at, this kind of chain today, these steps to the salvation of someone else. And so let's kind of just stick with the text today and go where it's going. So it mentioned calling, but Before they call, they must first believe. Look at verse 14 again. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, the answer is, they won't. No one's ever going to call on the name of the Lord unless they first have trust or believe from the heart. So the gospel must go here, must penetrate the heart before it starts to come out of the mouth and confession. And and Paul is emphasizing the necessity of, of faith for salvation. Now, I'm going to pause during my sermon three times. 
I'm going to pause and ask a question because we are a teaching church. We don't just bop into a text and assume that nothing's come before it. So we're going to deal a little bit with our context here. And our context is chapter 9 that came before it, right? And if you remember from chapter 9, we talked a lot about election and predestination. And for those of you from a certain theological background, must have really loved it. (laughs) And others from a different theological background will love chapter 10. But the question I'm trying to ask here is this. How does faith fit with election? What's going on there? Chapter 9, we got election, predestination. In chapter 10, we have repentance and faith. What's going on? How do those fit? Well, both are in the Bible. And I, I believe if I'm reading the Bible, election does not negate faith at all. Both election and faith are emphasized, and one does not nullify the other. A quote I gave you before uh, from uh, Douglas Moo, a professor I took this summer, Douglas Moo says, Divine sovereignty and human responsibility and salvation stand in some tension with one another, but they are not logically contradictory. The Bible teaches both. And how they fit together? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's tough. Someone once asked this famous preacher named Spurgeon, they asked him, hey, Spurgeon, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? That's the question. How do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? And he said, I don't. There's no need to reconcile friends. And that's a good answer because they're both taught in the Bible how it all goes together. God knows. So those who believe there must be a faith, there must be a trust in Jesus will call on the Lord. But they're never going to believe unless what? They hear. Look at what it says. Verse 14 again. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So in order for someone to believe the gospel, they've got to hear it. Jump down to verse 17. Would you do that? Jump at 17. Verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So the word of Christ is the gospel. Someone has to hear this gospel. And the gospel is Jesus is perfect. He died in your place bearing the wrath of God. He was buried, and he rose again. And if you repent... Put your faith in Jesus. You can be saved. They have to hear this gospel. Now, now, of course, okay, hey, they can read it. I'm with you on that. And some may ask, but what about dreams? Okay, I'll give you that as well. Sometimes uh, we hear stories of people hearing the gospel in dreams, right? You've heard that before, right? And I'm not discounting or dismissing that. But I'm saying the primary means... God uses to disseminate the gospel is when people hear it. And this hearing has to be done in their own language. And here's the problem. A lot of the people in the world who've never heard of Jesus don't have the Bible in their language. And so we need missionaries to go there, figure out this language, write stuff down, and share the gospel. And that's just that. For people to believe and to hear the gospel, it's often going to take missionaries to go to wherever these unreached, least reached peoples are and just stick it out 
for the rest of their lives. It's a big commitment. I want to encourage you this morning that uh, we have someone in our midst. Uh, I'd like to ask them to stand. Ross and Mary Hunter, would you guys mind standing? They, get this, they're missionaries to uh, Ecuador, and they're lifetime missionaries, that, and they're the first missionaries that we have sent out from our church. And we've been around about 27 years, so we sent them out years ago. And they're still there preaching the gospel. Because people got to hear, to believe, to confess. Well, this brings us to the next thing in our text. That's the idea of preaching. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, when you think of someone preaching, please do not think, don't think me. Think you. You're the preacher. You need to tell them about Jesus. That's the proclaiming. That's the preaching. And and before they can hear, someone's got to start talking to them and preaching to them about Jesus. Now, let's, let's pause and ask our tough election questions again, okay? If God has elected people for salvation... Why share the gospel? If election from chapter 9 is true, and God elects people to be saved, then what's the point of evangelism? Well, have you ever thought about that? If election is true, well then what are we going to share the gospel for? It's because of this. God has chosen a means to the ends of salvation. And you are that means. You are that instrument. God could have written the gospel in the sky. God could have boomed the gospel from the clouds. But he said, nope, I'm going to use my people. And my people are going to be the means to the end of salvation. You are an instrument and a mouthpiece to share the gospel. You are the means God uses to preach the gospel. But you're never going to preach unless you're sent. Look at the next one. Verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So the idea is that the proclaimers of the gospel must be sent out by God and by the church. And all of us who take part in this great commission, we arrange or rearrange the furniture of our lives so we can make it a priority to send people out. But some of you are the ones who get sent. You feel compelled by God to get out of here and go to the unreached, the least reached, and share the gospel with them. And so this is what I'm going to do. I've already made it a day of standing during the sermon. I'm going to ask another group to stand. Now I want you to pause for a moment before, before you stand. If you were here this morning and you believe something inside, God's word, stirring of the spirit, confirmation of others. You, you feel stirred to go. You want to go, you, you, and, and that's you. Or, or you're here this morning, and you're wondering. You've been thinking about it for a while, maybe just a little bit. Like, God wants you to go and just make it your whole life. Like, you, you're ready to go for the rest of your life, and you're pondering that. Should I do this? Should I not? You're not quite sure, but you feel stirred, and you're working through that right now, or you're already decided and you're ready to go. So this is what I want you to do. I'm going to ask those people right now to boldly stand. Come on. 
I want to speak to you. Stay standing. We are with you. God has perhaps been stirring you maybe for months, years, or more recently. I want you to know, as your church, we are with you to encourage you, to support you, to, to journey along with you. We will interact with you. We've got a missions committee that's there for you. Elders are there for you, brothers and sisters. And so as you're kind of thinking about this, maybe over the next several months or years, we are with you and here to support you. we got your back. All right? You need to know that. We're here to send you. Okay, you can sit down. Hope I didn't embarrass you too much. Great to have you standing. So this church plays this confirming and sending role, and guess what? So the gospel goes out, people go out, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful when people are saved in response to the gospel. Look at this quote that he has from Isaiah 52. It's in verse 15. He says, As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So like a a messenger carrying the gospel and the good news from afar, and he arrives and it's beautiful. As we send people out to proclaim the gospel, it's beautiful when people hear and respond to Jesus. God desires people to be saved. God desires that no one should perish. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, shows us God's heart. It says, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all to be saved. Let me share from you a Peter verse, 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. So God desires all to be saved and none to perish. Now, we've got to pause once again. For those of you who have been with us, you may wonder how this fits with election. Like, how do we have chapter 9? We have God electing and predestined people, and then we have these verses about God desiring no one to perish and all to be saved. What do you do about that? How does that all fit together? See you later. I'm not going to answer that question. No, I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to answer that question because it's really hard. It's a really difficult one, and my answer probably won't be satisfying, but I'm going to give it a shot. One particular theological background says this. God desires all to be saved. God desires none to perish. But the reality is all are not saved. The reality is many do perish. And so the issue is, if not everyone is saved, and if many do perish, then God must have a desire that is greater. He must be upholding something greater than his desire for all to be saved. Are you kind of with me there? There must be something greater that God is upholding than that none should perish. And what they would say is, the greater thing that he is upholding is free will, human choice. If God desires all to be saved and not all are saved, well, God is clearly upholding human free will and free choice to believe. And that is greater than his desire to all to be saved is that people actually have a choice. Now, that is a way that is explained. However, I would not explain it that way. I'm not even quite sure that's um, biblically accurate to say. I would explain it this way. And I think it's a more biblical way to understand this. And I think I would say this. 
God has a variety of desires. If you ever read the Bible, you'll see that God desires lots of different things. And one of the things that we saw in, um, today in those verses I just showed you, he desires none to perish. He desires all to come to faith in Jesus. But why do some perish? And why do all not come to faith in Jesus? Because he has other desires. And one of his other desires is also to make known his power and to show his wrath and judgment. Those are other desires that he has. And we saw those back in chapter 9. For example, Romans 9.22. What if God, desiring, there's the desiring word, to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So if God desires all to be saved and none to perish, why is that not the case? It's because God desires other things as well, also making known his power in judgment. So however you're going to try to explain this thing and however you want it to put it together, keep coming back to the reality that God's heart is for people to know him through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is why when this gospel message goes out and people respond, it is beautiful. Now I don't want to end on a sad note or a sour note here, but I, I guess kind of I'm going to that's where the text ends. But the text ends in chapter 10 with rejection. Not everyone's going to respond to the gospel. There is going to be rejection. So let's finish up with this point on rejection. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Just because someone grew up in the church, just because someone heard the gospel, does not make them a Christian. And this is Paul's huge point at the time concerning the Jews. The gospel has gone out, but predominantly the Jewish people did not respond with obedience of faith. Now jump to verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Track with his argument, okay? He's saying just like natural revelation of God's existence is expanded through what has been created so that humans are without excuse, so Paul sees a very similar thing with expansion of the gospel to the ends of the world through preaching. And Paul knows that the gospel has gone out and that the Jews have heard the gospel. And you know how he knows this? Because those stinking Gentiles are believing. The gospel's definitely spread throughout Israel, and they've heard it. They just didn't respond that those filthy Gentiles did. And then he finishes up. Let's finish up the text, verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Those filthy, sinful Gentiles are putting their faith in Jesus and being saved. They never even had it in their mind and their hearts that they wanted to 
follow Jesus and be a Christian, but in God's electing love, he's going out there, finding them and bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ. And these Gentiles are believing in a Jewish Messiah. Did you understand during this time how despised the Jews were by the Gentiles? And here are Gentiles putting their faith in a Jewish Messiah? Who planned that? Only God could have planned that. And yet, Israel, who got all these great promises from the Old Testament, Jesus shows up on the scene, and most of them are rejecting him. You're going to often be surprised by who responds to the gospel. Some of those people you think are really right for the gospel, they're not going to respond at all. And those who seem so hardened, you're going to be shocked. I mean, I am totally one of those, I cannot believe that dude came to faith in Jesus' story. And if you, if you I, I, I wish you could have known me, <laughs> not really, but I was, I was steeped in immorality, just consumed with myself, foul mouth. I, I'm, I'm sure I just scared all the Christians off, scared them to death. That guy's never going to follow Jesus. I had no desire to follow God. Are you kidding me? The gospel comes in, bombards me, awakens me. You never know who's going to come to faith in Jesus. And that's got to be an encouragement when missionaries go out and start sharing the gospel around the world. You never know who's going to respond. We have a missionary right now in the Middle East, and she uh, recently led a, a girl to faith in Christ in the midst of a culture where that doesn't happen. When your family against you and your culture against you, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. So when you do that, that's huge consequences. Like, wow, God totally pulled that off. And that's got to encourage us. That yes, in the midst of all this massive rejection, people are still coming to faith in Christ. So my brothers and sisters, here's the truth. People need Jesus. People have never heard, need to hear. The least reached and the unreached must hear the gospel from us. What are you going to do about it? Some of you need to rearrange the furniture in your life. And what I mean by that is you need to start making it a priority to encourage and support and pray for those who are actually going. Because the reality is most of us are not going. We're staying. And so we need to rearrange the priorities so that we can support them. And this means pray for them. And I'm going to kind of give you a heads up here, right? This is what it means. When you get an email from a missionary, and it's a newsletter, and it's an update, I just want to tell you something. It's not spam. Quit deleting those. I see you. God sees you. When you get a newsletter in the mail, it's not junk mail. Open it up. Read it. Quit throwing those things away. We've got to be praying for our missionaries. And not only do we want to pray for them, but we want to keep the world in perspective of what's going on in these global movements and people coming to Jesus. And one of the best books, I mean, if I was going to rank my favorite books, I'd start with the Bible. It's a good one. And then I'd go to Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. But then there's a book that's, that's pretty close to third, and it's this one, Operation World. This is a, this is a good book 
If you ever want to know what's going on around the world, this is this book. It just covers every country, where the gospel's going there, how the Christians can be prayed for, the person. It is the best book. And it's about that thick. And that's okay. It's a prayer book. But we also want to instill this in our kids. And so there's a book for kids that's kind of along the same lines. And that book is Window on the, in the World. And that is so it pictures of what's going on in different countries in the world. Great ways to pray for them. So we want to be praying. In addition to praying for um, our missionaries, we also want to put our money there. If you don't have a heart for the nations, that's okay. Just start putting your money there, and your heart will follow. All right? Isn't that kind of the way it works? I just don't have a heart. I don't want to. Just start giving, and your heart will catch up. All right? Don't worry about your heart. It'll follow. And what's really exciting, this is really cool. I find it exciting that I get to go all around the world and preach the gospel without having to go all around the world and preach the gospel. Because when I give to certain people, wherever they're going, I get to go. You get that? You're like, you're a part of that. You're part of that team. And so my friend from, for 20 years, he just sent me a letter in the mail, and he says, man, I'm, I'm going to India. I'm going to India, and I'm thinking to myself, I get to go to India by just giving, right? I get to go with them. I get to go lots of different places. And so this is really cool because I'm not going to, you know, it helps me from freaking my wife out. Like, honey, we're going to India. What? And then now we're going to the Middle East. What? I mean, this is a, this, it's what you get to do. When you put your money there, you go with them. It's so encouraging to join with them in the work of God. So I want to pray for them. I want to give. We've got to stay focused and encouraging them. So in one month from pretty much right now, we're going to have two of our long-term missionary families back with us, the Ericsons and the Grootsmakers. And they're going to be preaching in back-to-back in July. They're home for some rest and um, get things organized, and we're going to have them here preaching. And I just want to tell you, those aren't, those, that's not filler. It's not like, well, it's the summer. Pastor needs a break. Got some open Sundays. Who can we put up there? Oh, missionaries, they'll always preach. They, they always want to take, let's just put them, it's not filler. These are men and women of God who are laying down their lives for the gospel, literally. And we get to have them back to encourage them and support them. So just, just keep that in mind. They're coming in a month, and we want to be there to build them up and to be there. This extension, this lifeblood around the globe. So we have to rearrange the furniture to make it a priority. But some of you, some of you are not content to just rearrange the furniture. You're ready to knock down walls, swap out the electrical and plumbing. You're going in for the complete remodel, and you're ready to go. And you're trying to figure out what that looks like. I know some of you are like 18, and you're ready to go. You're like, should I even finish school? What should I do? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be there for the rest of my life. And my encouragement to you is, hey, let's keep talking about this. We have an awesome missions committee. Start talking to them about it. Many of them will even have you over to their house and you can eat with them and, and talk with them and work through some of these issues of what it could look like for you to be a missionary. Maybe for a year, maybe for two, maybe for the rest of your life. So let's do this in community.
every single believer in here plays a part. You're a goer or a sender. So what's your part? Now, I'm about to blow you away and blow myself away with some really cool encouragement. This is, this is going to be so cool what we're about to do. We did it during the first service. I was like, whoa, one of the highlights of my year. So I'm going to introduce you to some people who are going. Some are just going for the summer. Some are going for the year. Some are going permanently. I want you to watch this. You're not going to believe this. You haven't seen this yet. So missionaries, elders, and missions committee, go ahead and come up here. Come on up. 